This is going to be week six of our series entitled Return of the King. Today we're going to be talking about the new creation. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And we're going to finish up today our look toward the future. And this subject is important to us. I felt it was important during this time because Jesus did tell us that he is going to return and I believe that return will be soon. And so we as his followers should probably know exactly how that return is going to, to be and, and what it's going to look like. So I would encourage you, if you've missed any Sundays, to go back and listen to the podcast. You can get them on the uh, church Facebook page or you can go to the website, cooleycommunitychurch.org, and listen to them to uh, catch up on the end times teachings. So today we're going to put the cherry on top of the Sunday, so to speak. We're going to be talking about how our eternity will finally end up. As we do that this morning, let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this series. I thank you, Father, for its, its impact on our lives, its ability to show us and give us hope for our future. And I ask, Father, that as we go through the last couple chapters in the Bible, you will use it to cement that assurance in our spirits. That when we look at the news of the day, when we hear about persecutions, when we hear about rights being stripped, when we hear about economic collapse, when we hear all these things that are going to try to fill our hearts with fear and dread, that we will look forward to the time when all of that is swept away. And we get to experience you and all of your glory and all of your fullness and all of your power and all of your presence forever. And if that wasn't good enough, you're going to give us a new heaven and a new earth also, as we will look at today. Father God, I thank you and I ask that you use this word to encourage people's hearts. In your name, amen. So over the last few weeks... We looked at some of the scary parts of the Bible. The Bible verses that talk about the horrors that we're going to see during the tribulation time. And it's, it's natural that when we read stuff like that, that we start feeling a little bit of dread, that, that, that kind of falling or sick feeling in your stomach of, man, this is coming. It's like it's bad enough now, and now we have to go through judgments falling from the sky. But Jesus wants us to know that, number one, hopefully we won't be here for most of that. Hopefully we've interpreted prophecy correctly and the rapture will take us away before those times really, truly come upon this earth. He also wants us to know that bad times, um, some of what you know we're going through uh, right now, um, the way our culture is and different things like that, it's kind of like birth pains. I don't know how many of you, the ladies here, um, mostly know probably what birth pains feel like. As a man, I don't know what it feels like, but I have been present and even caught a few births in my time. And the one thing that I can tell you is, generally speaking, when the birth is done and mom is holding that child in their arms for the first time, all that pain goes away. As a matter of fact, I work as you know, becoming a, an RN as a man, I end up working with 90% females because RN is traditionally a woman's job. And they will always tell you that the first thing they're thinking about usually once they're holding that baby in their arms is 
you know, when can I get the next one? Even after going through all of that, that pain and, and suffering that they had to go through. That's just the mother's heart. Or the nurses I work with are really weird. I don't know. But, um, but that's, that's what they tell me. We have a, I have a co-worker that's on number seven right now. I, I was joking that she, she got the basketball team and now she's going for the football team. So um, she, she just likes having babies. So we have the assurance that what's coming is beyond nice. It's better than that, that freshly born little baby. It's going to be something that is going to fulfill a longing that is within our, all of our hearts. Paul says in Philippians 1-2, that the place we're longing for is better by far. And in Hebrews 11.16 calls it a far better country. Most of us have that kind of a far better country somewhere on this planet. Maybe it's a vacation spot. Maybe it's a place you grew up. Maybe it's just a place you always long to go. When I, when I was growing up, that place was always Hayward. Hayward to me was, was heaven on earth because I got to go live with my grandparents during that time. And, and that, that place still holds a, a very strong pull in my heart. But what we're looking forward to is an even better country. So how are we going to get there? How do we get this better country? Well, Revelations 21, verse 1 says, we don't get to go to it. It's going to come to us. In Revelation 21, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Now, the final event that God has projected for us in his word is the coming of the new creation. You know, the Bible ends exactly how it began, with God creating a creation. And he's doing it this time for a very special people, the people who have surrendered their lives to him, who have lived for him, who have surrendered to Jesus. They all get to go to this place someday. And all of this is going to start with a heat, but then it's going to end with a home. Or 2 Peter 3.10 says that the cosmos will melt and be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 12 specifically says, The heavens will be dissolved by fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now this new creation is God's ultimate design and ultimate desire, and it's our ultimate destination. It's a place we were made for. It's that restoration of Eden that has been untouched ever by evil. No matter how much God can scrub the earth right now, the millennial kingdom even will still be built upon, if you think about it, upon the corpses of evil. So it'll be great that Jesus is, is dwelling on the throne, but still evil has touched this planet. So finally, God just creates a new one where we get to spend eternity with him. 
And this new creation has a new heaven, a new earth, and a new city called the New Jerusalem. And that's what we've been waiting for. This is what the longing in our hearts has been groaning even, the Bible says. In Romans 8.22, Paul puts it like this. The whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as first fruits, we also groan within ourselves. Many of us who have come to Jesus Christ, you come into a, a, a mindset and your heart gets changed and all of a sudden you feel like you're like you just got suddenly put into a foreign nation. Where just you don't feel like you fit anymore in the world. And the longer you walk with Christ, that 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 feeling increases that this is not my home. I don't somehow fit here anymore. And that's that groaning within your spirit that you can't even put a, a, a description to or, or put words to it. And that, that's what it's talking about, that spirit that's living inside you, that's shaping you and molding you into the image of Christ is actually groaning to go to this particular spot in the Bible and, and in history where there is a new heaven and a new earth. And during these last few years, how many of you have wished for a better world? Going through everything we've gone through in the last few years. Again, the reason you want that isn't just because of the coronavirus. It isn't just because of political turmoil. It isn't just because of our rights being stripped away or, or woke culture or anything that, you know, the pundits on TV. It's because that spirit within you is, is groaning for a better world. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3 that God has set eternity in our hearts. And that eternity in our hearts is a yearning for something intangible that we can't quite explain. But again, it's something we feel on the deepest, deepest level. Well, there's some good news this morning. That eternity, it's coming. And it will be more than you can ask for or even possibly imagine. But we're going to read about it this morning. In Revelation 21, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, uh, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And I would note one thing there. In the new creation, we won't be just his people. We will be his peoples. We have to remember that heaven will be made up of people from every ethnicity, from every tribe and language on this planet. We'll be diverse, but we'll be united in our worship of Jesus. Just like I hope our church and members would strive to be united every day, irregardless of ancestry, irregardless of cover, irregardless of political party. I would hope that we would strive to be unified. But you know what? In God's kingdom, we will definitely all be unified. Heaven will be made up of cultures of every nation, tribe, and language. 
So if you don't like a person of a certain ethnicity today, you better get rid of that because God will make them your neighbors for all eternity. But we won't have to worry about that because we'll have a new nature. We'll be a healed people. Verse 4 says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And then he tells us, then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Everything is made new. And he also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it is done. What was the other time that Jesus said, it is done? On the cross, exactly. At the, to pay, when our payment for sin was done, he said that from the cross. At the coming of the new creation, everything affected by sin will be done and done away with. Jesus continues in Revelation 21.5, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake of, that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. What it's saying there is nothing wicked, harmful, or false will enter into heaven. It won't even be an afterthought. We won't even, I believe we won't even remember those times. Everyone there will be his sons and daughters, completely washed clean. Verse 9 says, Then one of the seven angels who had held, held the seven bowls filled with the last seven plagues came and spoke with me. He said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Then he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God. This is why I said we won't go to the new creation. The new creation gets to come to us. The new Jerusalem will come out of heaven and become our eternal home. The new Jerusalem comes down from heaven, verse 11, arrayed with God's glory, her radiance was like precious jewel, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. 12 angels were at the gates, and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. There were three gates to the east, three gates to the north, three gates to the south, and three gates to the west. The city wall had 12 foundations, and the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb we're on the foundations. Now, within the Bible, when we look at different numbers, different numbers can mean different things. And in this case, the number 12 is a number of completion, that everything is, is, is absolutely complete. All the puzzle pieces are forming the picture. However you want to look at it, 12 is that number of completion. So there'll be 12 gates. There are 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles, and the 12 foundations of the city, everything is complete. More 12s are coming in verse 15. 
The one who spoke with me had a golden measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city was laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. He measured the city with a rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. And he measured its wall 144 cubits according to human measurement, which the angel used. Now 12,000 stadia in the Bible equals 1,400 miles. So think about this cube sitting there, 1,400 miles wide, length, width, and height. It's a big cube. Perfect. The city's building materials are so perfect, we have trouble even imagining them. Revelation lists 12 precious stones as its foundations, solid pearls for its gates, and a main street made out of pure gold. You know, gold is absolutely pure, and in its kind of melted state, you can see through it. It's going to be a street of pure gold. And I love this next description. I did not see a temple in it, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, because the glory of God illuminates it, and its light is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. They will bring glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Verse 22, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is describing our eternal home. We often focus only on heaven when we talk about those who have passed on. But in reality, our eternal home will be a reconstructed worldwide Garden of Eden with the holy city at its center. The hub of the new earth will be the new Jerusalem. Again, at 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles high, the New Jerusalem will cover a territory pretty much as big as America. It'll stretch from Canada to Mexico, from the Appalachian Mountains to the eastern border of California. The city is nearly 2 million square miles at its base. It's a big city. And that's just the ground level. Now, if you build this according to normal building codes now, and when you build a high-rise, each story will be 12 feet high. So the New Jerusalem could have 600,000 stories. Think about that. That's an express elevator. 600,000. Today, New York City has a population density 
of 27,000 people per square mile. But billions of people can occupy New Jerusalem with a population density of several square miles per person. That's how many people can fit in this thing. We definitely won't be crowded. You won't have to worry about your neighbor playing the music too loud or anything because they're going to be miles away from you. One of the great wonders of the heavenly city is the river of life. Clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God. Jesus the Lamb occupies that throne and the river flows downward through, from the throne down the center of that great street. And that comes as another stunning feature of this, this city is that the tree of life is there. You remember the last time in the Bible the tree of life got talked about? All the way back in Genesis. The tree of life stands on each side of the river. It's the same tree that was in Eden, but it was removed by God so that fallen humans could not eat of it. Why did he do that? Because if we ate from the tree of life, we would live forever in a fallen, sinful condition, knowing nothing but misery. That is why death came into the world. God loves us too much to keep us in that kind of condition. It's been in existence since creation, and it bears fruit every month. It's a source of food, a source of healing, and it says that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of even the nations. Let's look at a few other subjects, not immediately covered here in Revelation, but elsewhere in the Bible, about this eternal kingdom that's coming. Number one, the country. Luke 19.12 and Hebrews 11.14-16 assures us there will be countryside as well as city dwellings and buildings, or city streets and buildings. The new earth will have spacious outdoors. There is also a small indication that there could be mountains. I know that kind of it, it messes with our creation side of it, that mountains are because of the flood. But Revelation 21.12 describes a mountain great in height. It doesn't say the mountain, it says a mountain. So... Many believe that there could be more than one mountain on the new earth. Housing. How many people love where they're living right now? Anybody want a bigger house? A house somewhere else? Every, you know, God knows our, what we like. God knows what, what he has placed in our hearts, what we would consider that, that kind of heaven on earth kind of scenario. Jesus even told us, as a, an encouragement to live for him, he said, In my father's house has many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now, if you prefer city life, maybe you'll live in the, in the city. Maybe you'll live in the, the giant cube. But maybe, if you like country life, he'll give you a farm or a ranch out in the country. Maybe you'll just have an apartment there or something. The Lord is creating a perfect space for us based on his knowledge of our personal preferences. Since that's the case, I know I'll be in a mountain forest with a lake or a river right there, or maybe both, and mountains on the other side. That would be perfect for me. The good news is, is that God knows us better than we know ourselves. So when you get to see your new home, you're going to think it's perfectly suited for you. We also know there'll be seasons on the new earth. 
Now, sometimes I, when I talk about heaven, I talk about it existing outside of time. And I believe that is true to a point. But it also indicates that we are going to have seasons of and have a calendar here. Because Isaiah 66.23 says that mankind will come down before God from one Sabbath to another. Revelation 22.2 says that the tree of life bears fruit every month. Ephesians 2.7 says that God will show us incomparable riches of his grace throughout the coming ages. So we, there is going to be some type of calendar in heaven. We just won't have the ravages of the calendar like we do now. Like next year we'll be in a year older and a year older after that. We won't have that old age catching up with us. But clearly we're going to be living with some sort of a sense of time. Now comes the, one of the best parts. What about eating? Well, Jesus told his disciples, I confer upon you a kingdom. Just as my father conferred one to me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. In Revelation 2.7, he says, To him that overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. So eating will be part of our eternal existence. I mean, think about it. If you're a farmer... What's one of the biggest things you fight against? Bugs. Things that eat your crops, right? You won't have that in heaven. You won't have uncooperative weather patterns. Imagine the kind of fruits and vegetables you can produce if, if the ground always gave you the best of its nutrients all the time. The wedding supper of the Lamb is, is talked about many times in the Bible. It's going to be a huge feast I'm not sure if calories disappear or our metabolism just burns things with absolute efficiency, but it indicates that we're going to celebrate with a huge meal the coming of Jesus Christ and his kingdom on earth. Let's look at animals. Anybody an animal lover here? I'm not shooting them, Dave. Yeah, sorry. I don't, I don't think I, I, I hesitate to say this because it kills me a little bit ironically and no pun intended, but I don't think we'll be killing animals in heaven. I, I don't know that for sure, but, but if you're an animal lover, Isaiah tells us that the wolf will lay down with the lamb. There will be wolves and lambs there and every other kind of animal there too. They will live in harmony. It says that the wolf will, and, the, and the, the predators will eat grass like a cow. It says everybody becomes a vegetarian. So yes, to answer the question that I know is in all of your minds, all dogs go to heaven. But the jury's still out on cats. There'll be, there'll be, <laughs> there'll be, uh, there'll be angels there. You'll be able to see them. Now I know that some people, they come from a, or actually, I'm not even sure any of the, the Christian religious traditions teach this, but it's kind of a, a belief that, you know, when somebody dies, we say, God needed another angel in heaven. Well, actually, we don't become angels. They are a separate, completely separate order of creation from us. It would be like saying that when your dog gets to heaven, it becomes a cat or something. I mean, it, it, it stays a dog. We stay human beings. So when we go to heaven... We will live with the angels. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6.3 says that we will judge 
angels. On this side of eternity where we are at now, God does not permit us to give orders to angels. And I know there are some fringe Pentecostal slash charismatic denominations that will tell you that you can give angels orders and all that. I don't believe that for a moment because I don't think God in our sinful nature will allow us to, to tell an angel what to do. But on that side of eternity, the Bible is very specific to say that angels will be our servants. It says that angels are, are divine messengers, servants for those who will inherit salvation. So that we will um, essentially have angels hanging around us all the time. We'll be able to talk to them and everything else. What about marriage? If you've wondered about marriage in heaven, Matthew 22:30 says, At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but they will be like the angels in heaven. So instead of being married to just another person, you'll actually be symbolically married to the Lamb, Jesus Christ. We'll be the bride, he'll be the bridegroom. The Bible is very, very specific about that. That doesn't mean that you're not going to know your spouse in heaven. I believe you will. I believe you'll still share a, a deep, abiding friendship with that person. But you will not be necessarily married to that person in heaven. After all, all the tarnish of sin will be washed away there. In fact, a lot of people believe that marriage on earth is one of the ways that prepares our hearts and our minds and our spirits to accept the fact that we'll be in that kind of relationship with Jesus. We're not talking about the romantic side of it, but just that close personal friendship that you're supposed to have with your spouse here on earth. Knowledge. So what will we know in heaven? 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, But now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Paul says, Now I know in part, but when I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So in heaven, we'll be able to see things very clearly. If we want to know something, I believe God will tell us. Saying that, I don't think we will be able to ever know anything because that belongs only to God. But I've often used the um, example of when you see the throne room of heaven within the Bible and you see the cherubim and the seraphim flying around the throne and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. I don't believe they're just programmed to do that. I believe that for moment by moment, they're seeing yet another aspect of God's holiness and crying out, holy, holy, holy. Now these seraphim and cherubim have been surrounding the throne for thousands of years and have still not run out of that one attribute of God to cry out about. That's just one attribute of God. Imagine the joy that we will have getting to know God for all eternity, being continually exposed to him and getting to know him and his ways even more. Well, what about work? Is this like a permanent retirement plan, heaven? No, you're going to have a job. Humanity was created for work. And I know for many people here, work is a four-letter word. Actually, it is for everybody in the English language, but um, work is a four-letter word. It's something you just do to pay the bills. I owe, I owe, so it's off to work, I go. But work is really meant to give us a sense of purpose. Work is something that is built within each and every one of us. We all yearn for accomplishment 
and worth within the work that we do. Jesus said that my father is always at work to this very day. Adam worked in the garden, and we will work in the new creation. In heaven, I believe you'll be given significant assignments for meaningful tasks that will keep you growing and enhancing the life of others. And these assignments and, and rule, remember we rule and reign, that will be doled out based on your performance in this present life. It'll be part of your reward in heaven. Speaking of rewards, we learned about the beam of judgment last week. Every service rendered to Christ will receive a reward in heaven. If you think about it, there are five different crowns a person can earn here on earth. And they're available to those who serve Christ faithfully. And there are some other rewards so unusual that I don't even think we fully understand them. And I don't even think the Bible even describes all the possible rewards. So that's just a small sampling of what our eternal life will be like. I just think it'll be awesome just having that Superman body that Jesus had at his resurrection. Being able to eat, being able to go, huh, I wonder what it's like in Jerusalem. Oh, now I'm in Jerusalem. I wonder how Chicago is. Boom, now I'm in Chicago. I just That will be the neatest thing, is you don't have to ever go for long plane rides ever again. So the Apostle Peter's final words in the book of 2 Peter are, Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. And the reason that Peter encourages us this way is because heaven is real. Heaven is our future. I'll leave you with this story this morning. And it shows the heart of a person who's really longing for heaven. There was an elderly Englishman named H.S. Laird who was on his deathbed. His son asked him, Father, how are you feeling? Are you afraid? Are you, are, you know, is there anything I can do? And he said, Son, I feel like a child on Christmas Eve getting ready to open my rewards. You see, that's the way that God wants us to anticipate the new creation. Like it's Christmas Day, stocked with eternal presence. You know, our life on this earth, it can contain some, some really neat moments, some exhilarating moments even. But when it's done, for those who have trusted Christ, Life only gets better. Heaven is a place of unspeakable joy, a place of eternal rewards. Let's all rise. A long time ago, I read a story of a college student named Jim Elliott who became a missionary. And he wrote in his diary that he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliott became a missionary to a very unreached, very primitive, even Stone Age tribe in Ecuador. Right after he got there, he was killed by the spear of one of the tribesmen that he came to reach. 
And you may think that we're talking about heaven and, and why are we ending it with such a horrible story. But imagine instead the applause of heaven when he made that step from this life into the next. Imagine Jesus standing up from his throne and giving him a standing ovation for his faithfulness. Friends, I want you to experience every possible reward that Jesus has for you in this new creation. So I would just implore you now, serve Christ diligently on this earth. Serve him faithfully. Serve him even with joy. And serve him mostly with anticipation of the faith you have that everything you do for him will be rewarded. Because what is, better, what is coming is better than anything you will ever experience on this earth. Amen? Amen. Father God, I ask, Lord, as we complete this series, that you will just cement these truths within our hearts, that it's something we can turn to when we feel afraid in this life, it is something that we can turn to when we get frustrated and overwhelmed. That it's something that we can stake our, our very joy on when we face persecution, when we face doubt, illness, sickness, whatever it may be that may try to draw our eyes off of you. Let us hold firm to this truth that these new heavens and these new earth is waiting for us. And therefore, O oh death, where is your sting? My hope is on Christ, the solid rock I sand, because all other ground on this earth right now is sinking sand. I trust in you, Jesus, and I long to be standing before you one day. Lord God, let that be the cry of our hearts this morning as we go forth now to serve you and live for you in a world that desperately needs to meet you. Lord God, I bless your people now, and I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.